You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Welcome back, everyone, to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Ginger and I are still riding high on the momentum of our last episode on carbon. Um, Please take a listen if you haven't already. We discussed how important it is to consider all the carbon intensive processes it takes to build a building. And today we'll break down that idea into its individual parts and talk about the materials that actually make up that building. Um, Before I begin, I just wanna say that when we're talking about sustainable materials here, there are so many different variables to consider. Uh, So what works for one project or one GC might not work for a different project or a contractor who has different contacts, different project goals, obviously. So um, we are gonna delve into a few specific building materials that we feel could be tweaked ever so slightly to have a really big positive impact on people and the environment, which is what we're all about. Welcome, Ginger. Glad to be here with you. Uh, what else are we talking about today other than how terrible uh, cement is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, bad old cement. Glad to be here, Ian, and welcome, listeners. Uh, today will be sort of a mashup of many of the ideas and methodologies we've touched on in the previous episodes, uh, such as integrative design, energy efficiency, passive design, regional sourcing to help reduce uh, embodied carbon, and so much more. So tune in to our previous podcast to catch up on those green building concepts. And we hope to show anyone listening that a little extra research and effort into new technologies and materials can lead to some really great collective rewards. So as always, when you employ smart, efficient design, collaborative methods at the beginning of the process, there are super great opportunities to save money along the way and create a lasting profitable connection with other professionals doing great work in our industry. We need to keep pushing things forward. So that was a shameless plug for our podcast, The Design Charette. So be sure and take a listen to that episode. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, Ginger's talking about getting everybody together at the beginning and focusing on sustainability. It doesn't really work the other way around. You know, if you're just focused on the bottom line um, at the beginning, you're just looking at cost and you're not really looking at innovation or new ideas at all. uh, And you think you know everything there is to know about building science already, then you're going to end up missing many of these cost saving opportunities along the way. Um, And not to get too preachy here, but Humility can be a real asset in the sustainability space, Um, something I have to remind myself a lot. There are many good ideas being researched. There's photovoltaic building skin, there's engineered timber for structural use and high rises, Um, but we we can't wait for others to try it out. 
You know, we have to be curious. We have to be collaborative, as you said, Ginger, in order to make that switch to, to more sustainable materials. Um, and it, when it comes to materials and manufacturing, it's going to take a drastic shift in the value that we place on human health to kind of achieve any sort of people, planet, profit balance for the future. We have to do that now. It's going to, mm -hmm. it's the only way. So, so true, Ian. Mm -hmm. So true. We don't have time to wait for someone else to do it. We all have to push the industry forward together. So where do you start? Well, I think we have to start with the easy stuff. Um, we have to show that innovations in building materiality can bring down costs, clearly. Um, that way we get buy-in one project at a time. And a friendly reminder for all the developers out there, the bigger the project, the bigger the opportunity for change, and also the bigger the cost savings uh, in, in most cases. So let's actually start with some of the materials that you decided to go for with your first single family design, Ginger. Um, can you walk us through why you made some of those decisions and, and what the benefits were? Absolutely. Um, to your point about health, one of the big mandates for our design uh, single family house was to avoid VOCs, otherwise known as volatile organic compounds, formaldehyde, other toxic materials in many of the interior materials like rugs, paint, sealants, petroleum-based products that just contribute to really super poor indoor air quality and poor health for everyone living in, in that environment. So we really wanted to avoid any of that. Seniors, children, pets are especially susceptible to these chemicals, along with anyone suffering from asthma, respiratory illness or a compromised immune system. So many of the VOCs have been shown to cause cancer and can also lead to mental health challenges like depression and anxiety. So that's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, scary indeed. Uh, I have a three-month-old son and a dog and my mom uh, now has health complications like so many pe other people out there. So these toxicity issues are, are personally very important to me. Um, and I think too, you know, with everything that's going on in our world right now, um, you know, with res respiratory illness, indoor air quality is, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the answer uh, in a lot of ways to reducing some of those, those high risk situations, um, you know, and, and really focusing on health in our buildings um, and, and mitigating some of those, those big viral concerns. Uh, I'm happy to say that there are, are a couple of resources that we can use to avoid building with materials that are toxic to humans and the environment. And the first is what's called the red list. Um, it's put out by the Living Future Institute and it lists materials that you need to avoid in order to build healthier buildings. Pretty simple. Uh, red list has been around for nearly a decade. It's a great tool for architects and designers to use when they're speaking with clients uh, who may be more committed to their own individual health than overall environmental health. Sometimes when you talk about, uh, you know, saving the planet, um, you, you, you miss people a little bit. You know, hopefully our listeners are here because they want to do just that. But, um, mm -hmm. but a lot of folks, you know, in the development space, uh, if you can make it about their health and the health of their children and the health of their, you know, uh, parents or you know, whatever, grandparents, then you've got an in. Mm -hmm. And once you show a client the red list, most folks are pretty motivated because they can really see it you know, outlined very, very clearly. So, mm -hmm. and they get motivated to avoid those materials at, at the, whatever the additional costs. Costs really are pretty comparable these days. And when it comes to design, we can actually realize savings if we're intentional about the materials we choose. So right. the other, 
The other benefit of avoiding red list materials is that companies are becoming more and more transparent because they know the list is out there and they don't want to lose business if their consumers find out about their material selections. That's a great point. Um, I think we talked about EPDs or environmental product declarations last episode for a bit, but I want to expand. Um, they're voluntary declarations of environmental impact over the life cycle of a particular product or material. But in tandem with that red list, we can actually encourage better practices in the industry by communicating with product manufacturers early on in the process, you know, during procurement, um, uh, during cost analyses, and, and telling them, hey, you know, we're not going to recommend your products unless you can show us that you don't actually use these red listed chemicals um, in your products. And that's the leverage that we as developers, as designers, architects, you know, have on the overall industry. Um, and even though it may be project by project, as I said, big steps can be taken in a short period of time if we collectively decide that we're not going to budge on the quality and the health of those materials, um, which it sounds like you did, you know, in, in, in that first design. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, did you guys do any life cycle analysis uh, for that design? We did. We did. The architect and I talked a lot about materiality early on, and we went in, uh, went with many locally or regionally sourced materials as possible, actually, and cool. without, without compromising any structural integrity, naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to use as much wood as possible, so using FSC certified wood was a very important um, thing for our sustainability mandate in this design. That's awesome. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, FSC uh, stands for Forest Stewardship Council. And really their, their one and only mandate is to make sure the wood that they certify was harvested sustainably so that those forests um, will still be around for centuries to come. Um, and if you can't find FSC certified wood, there's also SFI, stands for Sustainable Forest Initiative. Um, they also focus on sustainability of forests, albeit to a slightly lesser degree in, in my research. Um, why was wood so important for you as a material, Ginger? I'm curious. Well, we knew we would have to use some concrete, of course, for structural reasons, hmm. but we didn't want to use a bunch of steel. Personally, I really think it feels, steel feels cold, uninviting, and, uh, but sustainability-wise, wood can actually sequester or capture carbon believe it or not, and offset the minimal carbon emissions created during processing and transportation. So it makes it a very, very good material selection. Sequestration. I like that we're talking about that. Um, <laughs> personal word. aesthetic opinions aside, because I actually happen to love board-formed concrete and the trend that is happening right now. Um, but isn't it also true that, that concrete can sequester carbon as well? It has sequestration properties? Well, that is true, but the amount of carbon released into the atmosphere during the making of cement and concrete is just huge. So that mm. carbon offset from sequestration barely even makes a dent in the embodied carbon footprint. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, I've actually heard about some new innovations in the mixing of concrete that could bring that carbon footprint down, adding a higher percentage of fly ash, for instance. What have you heard about concrete and how to make it more environmentally friendly? 
Uh, slowly but surely, the industry is developing healthier alternatives, as you said, um, to the traditional cement process, but none of them have really caught on or certainly not been required by law uh, as of yet. Um, and there are a lot of really delicate political reasons for that, of course. Um, I was recently on a Zoom happy hour that was a materials happy hour with the LA chapter of the USGBC, the Green Building Council. And um, one of the gentlemen that was a materials expert was uh, mentioning that basically by by us or by concrete companies or cement companies buying the fly ash from the coal manufacturers, because that's where they get it, uh, that they're actually making it easier for them to continue producing in this dirty way and polluting because then they don't have to figure out what to do with the fly ash. So, I mean, you're, you're weighing some stuff here. Uh, it's good. It's better for the environment. It's better for the embodied footprint, but then you're not encouraging them to innovate out of their pollution. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said at the top of the show, there, there's so many different variables. And unless we get the public and we get lawmakers talking about these different externalities, uh, you know, negative impacts on the environment and these supply chain politics, then it's easy to think that there's just one solution for the problem. Oh, carbon sequestration, that's going to fix it all. Well, how does that happen? What are the materials being used? I mean, there's so many different questions. Um, what's cool is that the green building movement, as, as young and small as it may be, you know, has already been really instrumental in pushing cement manufacturers to look for those new ways to capture carbon um, during its production, uh, bringing the embodied footprint down, um, also bringing more biomaterials into the mix. Um, there are other things other than, uh, than fly ash that can be used, um, list of about, you know, 10 or 15 that I've, that I've seen. Uh, and we just need more help. We need more help with this conversation. We need more help um, talking to product manufacturers and cement manufacturers and saying, Hey, like you can still like the Delta is not, is not that different. And, you know, sort of like the blockbuster model, you know, if you can hop on this early, then mm. there's opportunity for you to really be a leader in the space. And, you know, if you're looking five, 10, 15 years in the future, um, otherwise somebody else is going to come up with that idea and, and you're going to be out of business. Um, whether that works with those folks or not, I don't know, but um, that's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Sure, uh, advocating for change in this industry requires a lot of research and a large collective voice. So and that's what we're here advocating for our listeners to become that voice. And right now, most of those sustainability conversations are simply being had within the green building community. And, and we've mentioned before how small that community still is, and yeah. we'd like to see that grow exponentially here so it, it is, is growing yeah yeah it is growing and that's good news and with each individual project or with each designer architecture firm that says i'm going to be the change right now we add that to the conversation in a big meaningful way so i'm excited i'm excited about this industry growing the way it is so listeners become the change speak up about sustainable building methods with your team and hire experts help your sustainability game. Indeed. Um, Ginger, I want to play a fun little game if you're up for it. There's so many materials out there. So I, I thought maybe we just do a little, <laughs> a little back and forth. Okay, um, sure. What's, what's the game? Well, uh, you know, nobody really knows about some of these cutting edge uh, new materials, technologies, unless they're really just reading architectural magazines all the time. Um, so if we do a, a little like I say, uh, 
I say a product or a material, and then you give me a new idea or an innovation, vice versa. Um, so we've already discussed sustainable wood. So let's start there. What other innovations are there when it comes to wood as a material? Well, mass timber construction is coming online, actually, quite a bit uh, within the last few years. And, and it allows for engineered prefabricated structural assemblies to be made from cross-laminated cross timber instead of steel, which I just love this idea. So as we mentioned with many new technologies, a full adoption of CLT will require the loosening, I guess, of building codes here in the US, a little bit of opening of the minds <laughs> yeah. to it, as it were. And uh, so, you know, we've allowed the steel construction industry to kind of completely monopolize the structural space for the last 50 years. So we really want to see that change. Yeah. And it's going to require some more in-depth testing, some case studies. Um, that's why each project matters. Because mm -hmm. if you do a successful project using some mm -hmm. alternative materials, you can show that that cost delta, you know, isn't, isn't much more or even less. Um, you know, th that's where, that's where you're going to get buy-in. Um, some naysayers are concerned with the structural timber uh, that it would just completely burn down if it's set on fire. But uh, there are a decent amount of studies out there that show that CLT might actually be more fire resistant than structural steel. Um, mm -hmm. We can save that discussion for a deeper dive on mass timber, <laughs> but um, you know, just know that anybody you know from the steel or the steel industry or aluminum industry that's coming out and saying no, CLT is terrible, you know, they've got a, a bias, obviously, um, and that's mm -hmm. why they're saying that. So. You know, there's information coming from both sides and you need to do the research and, and say, okay, this is, you know, this is an opportunity to use a, a new material and, um, and it could go really well and it could, you know, change the industry as we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I love talking about CLT actually. <laughs> One of my favorite subjects. Uh, so what's new when it comes to windows in the green building world? Windows. I've actually got two uh, for windows. First, we have um, a technology called dynamic glass, which has been knocking on the door or window, I guess I should say, um, for almost 10 years, but it still hasn't quite reached uh, a mass production scale um, when it does. And when the cost comes down a bit, I can, I can see this as an application for all sorts of commercial large scale projects uh, because it's so energy efficient. Um, the, the, the building ends up being so energy efficient by having glass that's automatically adjusting to increased light and UV rays um, and blocking the entry of excess heat and light mm -hmm. into the building's interior. So, you know, you, you, the, the glass tints on its own. Um, and not only is it tinting, uh, you know, like I said, to, to protect from the, the light itself, but it's also keeping heat uh, out of the building. Um, and one window solution, this is the second one, that's already here is high efficiency Energy Star windows that are only double pane. Um, until recently, if you wanted the most efficient windows, you needed to use triple pane, which obviously costs more to produce. Um, so the fact that some of these double pane products are outperforming some of the triple pane assemblies, it's great for the pocketbook. Um, if you can save a little bit of money, you know, on a building that has tons of windows, then it, it adds up. So personal antidote here, based on the energy modeling we did for our family, single family design, triple pane was required. Hmm. I was shocked uh, at the cost, huge cost for the project at the time. So it's exciting to see innovation in that space, helping to make efficiency more affordable, which is one of our mandates here. Yeah, times they are a changing. Um, 
let's talk about insulation. What, what new idea or product are you excited about when it comes to insulation? Well, Ann, we heard about hemp wool and hemp-based insulation board when we were at the Green Build in Chicago last year. And like so many others, it hasn't quite made it into the conversation yet due to a higher cost. But it's only a matter of time, I think, before production scales and costs come down. And what are uh, the benefits of using hemp in insulation products, Ginger? Honestly, the biggest is the renewability of the material itself. So that's, that's a big concept in the green building world, renewability. So the federal government approved growing hemp for large-scale production two years ago, and it paved the way for more innovation and use of this bio-based and fast-growing material, highly sustainable. So it's a perfect sustainable product because it, it's readily available, renewable, sequesters carbon just like wood, and is vapor permeable and cleaner when it comes to indoor air quality. Wow. Checks off every single sustainability box, yes, basically. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned vapor permeability, and I think it's worth mentioning a few other vapor, vapor permeable wall assembly products uh, and innovations. First, uh, we've got rain screen technology, where we leave, the, there's a gap between the exterior air barrier and the cladding itself. And what that does is it helps encourage uh, airflow through there uh, and that any water vapor to quickly evaporate, or it also encourages um, the pressure to be different um, between inside and outside. So it encourages the, the water vapor to actually move through the wall and avoid condensation and mold, which are huge mm. problems, mm. especially if you're building with wood, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, a rain screen was in our single family design as well. Uh, so we incorporated that idea. I, and I, I just let, was in love with the look and the feel of it. And also helps uh, by using passive methods, really, to increase energy efficiency as well as avoiding the water vapor and mold, as you, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were really ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, we were. Cheers to that. Years ago, too. <laughs> I know. To sum up, um, you know, we've been learning a lot about vapor permeable insulation drywall and paints um, that's all coming online. And by properly employing some of these materials in the envelope design, as you just mentioned, you know, you can, you can avoid mechanical ventilation and also minimize humidity in the walls. So uh, again, you don't need all those, you know, the mechanical air changer, the mechanical this, the, the HVAC system, you don't need, you know, five or six different mechanical systems if you've designed the building well enough to, um, to be able to breathe and to, to be energy efficient. Um, there, there was a product I read about recently um, called EcoRock, uh, which is a post-consumer non-gypsum drywall. Uh, gypsum has to be mined. And, it's, and there's no off-gassing, and there's actually an 80% reduction um, with the EcoRock in embodied carbon over traditional drywall. It's a great product. But unfortunately, they stopped making it when they tested the U.S. construction market and basically discovered that nobody was really all that interested, which is, is disappointing. Oh, that is, yeah, low demand. So it's sad that so many of these great ideas don't really catch on early, uh, simply because there's so much, so many bigger players in the construction and design industry. And then this industry declines to, to embrace new ideas. So they really aren't willing to take a chance on a product that would have a so many health and environmental benefits just because it's difficult to do in this industry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and speaking of environmental benefits, you know, one of the best things about all of these bio-based products that we're talking about is that many of them also, um, because they're organic, you know, uh, and, and bio-based compounds, they provide thermal mass, uh, which we talked about briefly in our architecture episode. So go ahead and mm-hmm. listen to that. Um, but basically you're, you're cleaning up the environment and you're adding to your passive design. If you don't, you know, if you're able to retain heat inside or, or cool, you know, vice versa, inside your home with thermal mass and some of the products that you're using to build the structure itself, then uh, you don't have to have, you can add to your passive design, don't have to have all those mechanical systems. It's really great. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned post-consumer or recycled materials. What's mm. the benefit of using recycled materials, Ian? Good question. Um, really, it depends on the manufacturing process of the material being produced or being recycled. Um, I've read that recycling aluminum actually ends up sometimes <laughs> being more carbon intensive than using the non-recycled, the just you know aluminum ore. Um, but for many products, using recycled materials does lead to a lower carbon footprint. And so that's definitely an environmental benefit right there. Um, but you have to do the research for each individual product. Uh, it takes a lot of work, but it's worth it in the end. Uh, you're emitting less carbon in production. And by eliminating these petrochemicals and toxic materials in your design, you know, everybody who comes into that contact with that, a building, with that building avoids being exposed to harmful materials. Um, so you're helping out the environment and people. Mm-hmm. We recently read that first responder firefighters have a 15% higher chance of getting cancer based on their exposure just to the toxic smoke and toxic chemicals burning inside those incredibly toxic buildings. So mm-hmm. we, we need to change that trend for everybody's sake, but especially for those that are already risking their lives every day. So it's truly criminal kind of that we're being put at an additional risk just because developers don't want to make, you know, those changes and they just want to make a few extra bucks. Yeah, I agree with you, Ginger. It really doesn't cost a fortune to make those small, healthier decisions when it comes to materiality. Um, But it does take intention. Uh, And as we've hit on pretty hard already in this episode, it takes a shift in perspective from I need to build as cheap as possible to I need to build as efficiently as possible. And that Again, we'll say it again, equals mm. cost savings uh, 90% mm-hmm. of the time. In the long run, yes. So what other ideas have you heard about listeners? When, we, when it comes to healthy building materials, we really want to hear from you. So please add your comments. Reach out to us at info at shfbuild.com. That's sustainablehomesofthefuture.com and share those next level ideas that we may not have heard of yet. There's so many coming online. We are so excited to hear about it. So many new innovative materials and technologies are emerging. So please let us know if you have any interesting ideas. That's right, Ginger. Um, There's always more to learn when it comes to sustainable materials and methods. That's a big part of why I and why we love what we do. Um, here so we're constantly learning and being challenged to learn more. Um, but let me just, you know, kind of recap a little bit. So we talked about, you know, if you're going with wood, you've got FSC, Forest Stewardship Council, SFI, uh, FSC is number one. If you can't find that, go with the SFI, Sustainable Forest Initiative, wood. Um, you can find those anywhere. You know, I built a deck uh, recently and... <laughs> Uh, I used FSC certified wood that I bought at Home Depot. Fantastic. It wasn't that expensive. Um, 
And uh, then we talked about EPDs, environmental product declarations, and the red list and how important it is for designers and um, you know, those that have are working with the procurement and working with the, the value engineering, you know, to incorporate those in early. Um, and, and you really can get client buy-in if you show them that those materials that would be in a traditionally built building are very detrimental to their health. And when people see that, mm-hmm. they're willing to change um, in, in a lot they of ways. They are willing so, to listen anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, listening is the first. Awareness is the first step. Awareness, change, yes, absolutely. Right? So, um, we're just trying to bring these ideas out there. Um, lots of cool technologies. Yes, Ginger said, please tell us. Please let us know. Reach out. Um, comment. You know, engage with us around these new ideas because there are definitely ones out there that we haven't heard of and we want to learn. Truly, this has been fun. Ginger, thank you. Thank you. Um, and thank you, fellow green building enthusiasts, for listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium. Uh, we really hope you take a listen to our past and our upcoming episodes. Stay with us on this journey. Um, And until next time, let's keep this carbon conversation going. Uh, Let's use the red list. Let's use those EPDs to make our indoor environment healthier while simultaneously taking action to help the outdoor environment last for many generations to come. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day.